as I said, we'll be in 2 Peter 3. If you want to join me, this is our last sermon, our last uh, Sunday in looking at First and Second Peter, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, bittersweet. It's sweet because we've gone through a lot, but it's bitter because now we're at the end of Peter. So I want to open us up by talking about football. I played football every year in high school, uh, the whole year, a lot. We had a, sh a small team in a small town, so I played a lot, except for my senior year. I played half of my senior year. And the reason I only played half was because of one single play. I was on defense, and that is the people that go after the people that are carrying the ball. And I was going to this one guy. He was running with the ball, and I went to hit him really hard in typical fashion. And he dropped really fast. So I ended up hitting him with my elbow instead of my shoulder. And the impact of hitting with my elbow actually popped my shoulder out of the socket. And I flew over him tumbled and hit the ground. The impact of hitting the ground popped my shoulder back into its socket. So in the passing of a few seconds, I woke up to a couple of my team members picking me up. And they, of course, picked me up by both arms. I noticed a slight amount of pain, but didn't feel too much. I was able to move it because it was back in its socket. But after playing a few more plays in another quarter, I realized I couldn't push anything with my arm. In fact, I could barely raise it above this level, and seeing as it was senior year, I wanted to keep playing, so I would run around with my arm just dangling here, ineffective. And that event made me unable to play sports for the rest of senior year, which, I mean, it wasn't too bad. I was really upset, but I was unable to do something that I really enjoyed to do, something that I loved, something that I had worked years to do. <clears throat> the damage had been done, and what exactly had happened wasn't clear. I didn't know that my shoulder had gotten popped out. I didn't know all these things happened because I was still able to kind of move it. It just hurt a lot. But I eventually found out from the doctor that's what was happening. It popped out and then popped back in. So all those nerves and ligaments and everything were still damaged. They were still injured, but my arm was okay. When we come to the Word of God, we may be reading it in a way that dislocates it from its real purpose and actual meaning. This is easy considering that many interpretations exist today, and we can look at the Bible and many people say different things about what it means. It's also very easy considering the large amount of years, the large differences in cultures that we have from those that are in the Bible. But as we finish this second letter of Peter and end our series, Peter is easy to misinterpret. And we're going to see as he continues to talk about Paul and the other scriptures that he's not the only one that gets misunderstood. If you would join me in 2 Peter 3, verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Peter loved Paul and considered him a brother. These are two apostles, two men of the faith that are very well known. Even though they had come from very different upbringings, very different schools, very different lifestyles, they still valued one another immensely. 
In fact, in Galatians 1.18, Paul talks about seeing Peter and meeting with him for three weeks in Jerusalem. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that three weeks as they sat there and talked. Paul bringing his knowledge of the Old Testament and Peter bringing his personal experience with Christ and both of them just sitting there and talking about theological and practical things, growing in their understanding of Christ as a whole, exchanging different ideas. That would have been great. So we know that Peter has interaction with Paul. We know that he looks at his letters. You know, we know he's familiar with them. And here in our passage, he says that people twist what Paul says. Paul, of course, wrote a lot of the letters that end in I-A-N, like Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians. He wrote a lot of letters to churches. And something that he himself acknowledged in Acts 20 was that people would come in and try to deceive and twist words, try to deceive and twist correct teaching. But of course, as we've already said, it's not just Paul that gets twisted, but it's the other scriptures as well. The whole of the scriptures, by some people, are taken and distorted. And the word twist here means to actually dislocate, to take and pop out and dislocate. Just like my shoulder, people may pull the words around, pull them away from where they are, change the things surrounding them, change those things that hold them in their place. So who are the people that do this? We've looked at Peter. He mentions false teachers. He mentions false brethren in the church. But the people he now describes as ignorant and unstable. It's not just those who are malicious, those who spitefully twist scripture, who come to it and say it can't be real because of this reason or this reason. It could be anybody who misunderstands what they're doing when they read the Word of God. Those who are ignorant, perhaps they don't know better. Perhaps they were taught improperly. Those who are unstable. They aren't sure of the things that we consider foundational to our faith. Those scriptural truths that hold us as children of God. In so doing, being unstable, they lose their footing in Christ. As I have already said, dislocating the scripture destroys the person who does it. It may not appear to be distorted at first glance, but under the surface, the damage is done. They may think that by relaxing or loosening a strict verse of scripture, they will be able to increase its extent and its teaching, make it more easily digestible for those of us who don't want to hear the hard verses. But if I know anything about a shoulder detachment and being popped out of its location, when you detach things that restrict the arm in its place, the range of motion doesn't increase, it decreases. Doing so to scripture will give the false understanding. Taking it away from where it belongs and how it's supposed to be understood, we may believe that we'll be able to have more emphasis on it, learn more from it, grow more from it. But in fact, it makes it less effective. And it may limit faith, it may limit trust, and it definitely will limit our steadiness in Christ and the Word of God. In the Garden of Eden, Satan attempts to, well, he doesn't attempt, he actually misinterprets the words of God to Adam and Eve. And the results of this dislocation are serious and lead to a great injury for mankind. Or one that, a passage that we've already looked at multiple times. John 21, 20 to 23. We read, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. 
the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet, Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So this passage shows us that some disciples, understanding this and looking at this, thought that John, the apostle, would not die before Christ returned. They had a false understanding of what would happen. And I imagine that their faith took a hit when they realized that John was dead and Jesus hadn't come back. When they understood that scripture to mean something that it didn't mean, their fulfillment of that meaning destroyed their faith. It's possible. What would their conclusions been then about the faithfulness of Christ in return? Would they still have believed? I use these verses to emphasize the point that not understanding Scripture in the right way will become destructive. Verse 17 to 18. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Being forewarned is very helpful in being forearmed. Does anybody remember going into your first class of middle school, high school, or college, realizing that you don't, in fact, have the pencil or pen that you needed in order to take notes? Or perhaps you remember, or hopefully this hasn't happened to you, but if you go to fill out a resume for a new job that you need desperately, as the resume comes to you, you realize that the only pen that you have is a purple glittery pen, which would really reduce your chances of getting hired, unless that's what they were looking for. Being prepared for something that is coming is very helpful. And if we know that there are those who distort Scripture, we know it may be possible that those of us around in this church may even be guilty of this. We should gear up our minds and prepare ourselves against the error. We should prepare ourselves for the testing, having the right pen, having the right understanding, knowing the right things to do. The result of not doing this is that we can be carried away. Peter here uses, as he has before, boating terms, fishing terms. And this is the term used for a ship that lays in a current. And then slowly, the current will carry it away until it drifts further and further away. And some captains, some sailors may catch the boat drifting away while they still see the shore and the horizon. Some may take a lot longer. And then they find themselves in open sea, completely unsure of which direction to travel to go in the right way. We speak today also of Christ as an anchor, a sure foundation for the church. And then if we look at Hebrews 6, we see that we have hope in the promise of God that is set before us. This is hope that is a steady and sure anchor. We have a strong encouragement to grasp the hope set before us, the promises of God. 
And verse 19 in Hebrews 6.19 tells us the reason we have this encouragement and hope is because it is impossible for God to lie. So if we look at his word and look at verses and declare them to be false or declare them to be a lie because we can't wrap our minds around them or because they seem hard to understand, we can be sure that that will lead to destruction and that will cause our steady anchor to slip. If God is lying about the instruction of tongues, if God is lying about Christ's death and life, if God is lying about proper sexuality, then we cannot know if he is lying about things like salvation and the end times and coming hope. It doesn't take much to lose your bearing, to lose where you are. An anchor that simply drags on the seabed is not effective. If the anchor is too light, it just bounces on the bottom. But in Christ and in his word, we have this hope that is both heavy and able to grip the seabed, able to hold us in a way that doesn't let us drift off and farther and farther away from understanding God and understanding Christ. Peter would have been familiar, for sure, with seeing boats drifting away, losing their position. So he's very serious about his warning to readers to avoid this error of drifting away. And I fear that Christianity today around us by and large, may not have listened to this. They may not have heeded this warning where we live in a culture where the people around us have yelled, in a sense, anchors away. And that is the term where you actually don't throw the anchor away, you pull it up so that you're no longer held down by that anchor. Anchors away is what the culture has yelled, disregarding any notion of God, disregarding any notion of the truths of Scripture, disregarding any notion that we have to follow those truths. So to help us avoid misusing and possibly discarding the Bible, shipwrecking our faith, I want to spend some time looking at the study of interpreting Scripture. As we've been going through Peter and bringing all the passages, teaching through it verse by verse, I think this is a great place to stop and look at what it means to understand Scripture and interpret it. And this is also called hermeneutics, which is a, a weird word that isn't really clear, but that's just the word that is used. Hermeneutics is, is studying and interpreting the Bible. Hermeneutics is a set of guidelines and rules that people use, Christians use, to prevent from going too far from what a certain piece of Scripture is saying. Now, the term may be less confusing if you understand the origin of what the word means. Hermeneutics. Uh, the beginning of the term comes from the Greek god Hermes. And if you're familiar with Greek mythology, Hermes was the god who would deliver messages. He would deliver the message of Zeus to the people under Mount Olympus. He would deliver these divine messages, and he would say them in ways that people would be able to understand what Zeus is saying. And of course, we don't believe in Hermes, but as believers, we approach this divine word of God. And there is something that we have to understand about understanding what he says. And this is where hermeneutics comes into play. And there are a few points to it that we'll go over. And the first is not necessarily a point of hermeneutics, but something that we must emphasize and stress whenever we read the Bible, whenever we study it, whenever especially we have a hard time coming to a hard passage. 
And that is the Holy Spirit. Stressing the Holy Spirit's work in interpreting the Bible is very important. The Holy Spirit has many jobs, which he does for the believers. He does many things for us. He illuminates Scripture. He teaches us. He leads us into accurate application. He brings Scripture to remembrance for us. We must depend on this as we approach the Scriptures, noting that anybody can follow all these instructions to a T. Anybody can properly interpret the Bible. But understanding what it says and coming to the conclusion that it is truth and not foolishness is a very different thing. And for that, we depend on the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and tell us that this word is true and not just mumbo-jumbo. So, the next points are interpreting the Scriptures. Number one is context. Now, this may seem uh, fairly easy, fairly uh, straightforward. The context, whenever you want to understand what somebody is saying about a sentence, you look at what they said before and after it. This is essential. And very often it's overlooked. The context of a passage is key to understanding what each verse means and not actually dislocating it from its location. Each word is part of a sentence. Each sentence is part of a paragraph. Each paragraph is part of a chapter. Each chapter is part of a book. Understanding this context is extremely important. Say, if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do, turn to Matthew 4. Look at verse 9. We'll be looking at a couple examples. And Matthew 4.9 says, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, this is very easy to see if we think, all these things you would give me if you fall down and worship me. So I just have to fall down and worship God and I'll be given all these things. Except if we look at the context of that passage in Matthew 4, verse 9, we see the things, our kingdoms and glory. Who wouldn't want that? In fact, if we look at that context, we see that this is actually Satan speaking to Christ. This is not about worshiping God. This is not about falling down before God. If we can extend it even further, we can see this is a temptation that Satan is bringing to Christ. So, context is very important if we want to understand verses accurately and correctly. Another aspect of context is the historical context. The time and place of the people that about that, um, sorry, the time and place that a passage was written. We cannot take commands or verses, especially First and Second Peter. We cannot take things from the Old Testament that spoke to specific people and events and just use them without <clears throat> understanding their meanings. Again, it goes back to dislocating a passage from <clears throat> where it belongs. Another important rule is Scripture must interpret Scripture. Again, it seems very straightforward. Many times, this is where those who have destructive viewpoints, uh, the heretics or cults of Christianity, people with very, very destructive views on Scripture, they will approach a difficult passage, which there are many in Second Peter and First Peter. And they'll approach these hard passages and they will say, this is what it means, bringing an intricate interpretation of it, bringing in all these other things and saying, well, this is what was happening, this is probably what he meant. 
And then they will support this interpretation with the clearer verses of Scripture, the things that we know that are more straightforward. This is not how it works. In fact, this is one of the surefire ways to be led into destruction. In Scripture, there are hard passages. Peter says that about Paul. In Scripture, there are easy passages, things that are straightforward, easy to understand. What we do is we use those easier passages to give us an understanding and a base for interpreting the harder passages, allowing Scripture as the counsel and Word of God to speak into itself. Scripture is the best commentary for itself. Scripture is the best dictionary for itself. In fact, if people go at this the wrong way, usually what will happen is the Scripture is full of contradictions. The Bible is full of contradictions. And I'm sure you may have heard that. I'm sure you may have thought about that. But again, that's not true. That's a distortion of Scripture. I was looking at some of the various contradictions that are out there today, and I came across this seeming contradiction. Numbers 26.5 says that Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Yet, Genesis 35.23 says that Reuben's father was Jacob. Now it seems to contradict itself. Who is the father of Reuben, this one person? How does he have two fathers? The Bible seems to not make sense. But if we understand, like many other supposed contradictions, these can be solved with simple things like context, simple things like using Scripture to interpret Scripture. In fact, we can look to Genesis 46.8, which actually tells us a very simple fact that Jacob and Israel are the same person. God met Jacob and gave him a new name, Israel. So, while the scripture says Israel is Reuben's father and Jacob is Reuben's father, those are not contradictory. They're both true. Understanding the context and other passages helps us to avoid these pitfalls that can erode our faith. Another important point to look at is who is the intended recipient of a letter? In 1 Peter, we have Peter writing to those churches in Asia, Bithynia, all these areas that we looked at three months ago. And then in 2 Peter, he's writing a letter, and he says, this is the second letter I'm writing to you. So whoever he's writing to, he's written to them before. And in those things, the authors are trying to connect with specific people, with certain issues. The inspired writers of Scripture wrote to address particular things whether they were writing for all Christians or to specific leaders like Onesimus in Philemon. There are verses in Scripture which were Christ's words to Judas. I think we would be foolish to try and apply those to ourselves. We must understand these things to avoid misusing Scripture and leading to destruction. In understanding the intended readers, we must also affirm that all Scripture is useful for teaching and the building up of the Christian body today. we just got to be sure how we use it. And we've got to use it carefully and accurately. In the same train of thought, I think we come to one of the most important points on interpreting the Scripture. One of the most important things about hermeneutics. Uh, there's many rules. Jewish authors have... 16 rules, people have 12 rules, people have 13, all these different numbers, different ways to interpret the scripture. And there's a lot of information out there on this. Some people say we should interpret it this way, we should interpret it this way. 
And the points that I'm bringing to you are not complete and full of every idea of hermeneutics or every rule that we should follow when coming to Scripture. They're just some of the more important ones and some of the ones that I think are easily seen in First and Second Peter. But one of the most important ones is there is many applications of Scripture, but there's one interpretation. There's only one interpretation, even though a certain Scripture can be applied many different ways. The meaning of Scripture in saying this doesn't change from culture to culture. We can't look at something and say, well, that's what it used to mean, but, but now it doesn't mean that anymore. We have to be very careful with something like that. We cannot interpret a verse based on the Chicago culture around us. Instead, each verse speaks in its context, understood properly, into all times and all people at a level that we can find truth in it and apply that truth to help build us up. So, to recap our points, overarching all the points, we have the Holy Spirit working in our lives to help us understand the Scriptures, something that we trust very deeply and, and depend on. Then there's the context. The context in the paragraph, literary, in the context of what was happening when it was written, historical. Then Scripture interprets Scripture. Then we have to understand who the intended recipients are. Then, lastly, but certainly not least, each verse has, each verse has one interpretation but many applications. With that, I want to reread verse 17 to 18 to help get us back into the text. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. By avoiding misuse of the Bible, the believer has a firm foundation in God. If we take heed to these rules, the rules of hermeneutics, we should be able to see that. Yet by applying these rules, it is possible that we can come to Scripture with an accurate interpretation, an accurate understanding, and still fail to let the words impact us. We must come to the conclusion that in studying Scripture, whether it's hard passages or easy passages, every verse should point us in the direction of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, something which Peter emphasizes throughout all of his writing, growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. One verse may show the powerful judgment of God to unrepentant sinners. The other verse may show his great mercy and forgiveness. Let the point be that we take the verses of Scripture and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Some may be verses specifically for those who don't believe, for unbelievers. Others may be just for the children of God. Some may be hard to understand. Others may be easy to understand. Some may be hard to obey. Some may be easy to obey. But we need to let the point be that we are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some verses may be for people living 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, and some may hit much closer to home today. Again, let the point be that we take the verses of Scripture and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In hopes of 
encouraging and strengthening you to continue in our little study here about understanding the scriptures. I have a little homework for everyone. In fact, I may not have printed out enough for everyone, but I'm sure everybody won't take one. Next to the bulletins in the back or in the front, we have little sheets of paper. And it's just a small piece of paper. It doesn't have anything directly related to Peter or the sermons or the passages that we looked at, but each paper has a verse on it. And I would hope that you would look up that verse. And then along with each verse, there's a few questions. Things like, what can you learn from the context? Directly from this context. What can you learn from other scriptures? How can you apply this to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? And then the fourth question is, did you find this helpful? So I would hope that some of you can take these home today and throughout the week and look at them. shouldn't take too long. Uh, and just take that minor exercise, that small exercise in understanding a passage of Scripture. There's, well, there is a right or wrong answer, but you're not getting graded, and I won't be coming down on you if you come to some conclusion. But I would like to see if this is a helpful exercise for us as a church to look at these Scriptures and try to understand them. So if you could fill those out and then bring them back in next week, just like homework. We already referenced high school and middle school and glittery pens, so feel free to bring them back next week. Um, yeah. If you didn't get a bulletin, there are still extra pieces back there of the verses. So three months ago, as we come to our conclusion, I said to you from this pulpit, we will be beginning a series going through the writings of Peter the Apostle. I will preach with two goals in mind for our time. The first is to enrich your appreciation of the personal quality of the Bible. The very lessons and struggles that the Lord carried Peter through in his ministry with Christ and indeed his whole life. The second is to continue with Peter's purpose, which was the feeding of the sheep and the guiding of the church as a whole. Over the past 2,000 years, Peter's letters have fed the hungry sheep of Christ. And I hope that these past three months have resulted in a greater understanding of Christ in your lives. And that we may end our time today affirming the last verse of what he has written to us. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. If Peter's words have met you here today, and at any point impressed upon you the need for your repentance, and with your repentance, the joys of forgiveness. Please be encouraged today to come to Christ, the same Christ that loved and taught Peter, is the same Christ that desires to have a relationship with you. Looking at the verses for the past three months and what he's written and the things that he's said, we should hope to apply them to us. And if you can't apply these verses to your life, if you feel that you're not in Christ, I hope that you would give yourself to him and come to him and receive that eternal hope, that hope that we have in his word, knowing that it is, it is impossible for God to 